This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We turn to that psalm, Psalm 51, a psalm of David. Perhaps the most familiar of the penitential psalms, the psalm that David wrote after Nathan the prophet came to him, after about a year that he had continued in sin and confronted him, saying, Thou art the man. And David confessed his sin against Bathsheba against Uriah, but especially against God. As we read, we make David's confession our own confession. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open Thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth Thy praise. For Thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise to good in Thy good pleasure unto Zion, Build thou the walls of Jerusalem, then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, 
then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. You read that far in God's holy and inspired word. We now turn to the Heidelberg Catechism and Lord's Day 3. On the basis of Psalm 51, as well as the basis of many portions of Scripture, we have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism and Lord's Day 3. We are in the first section regarding our misery. In Lord's Day 3, we find this question. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? By no means, but God created man good and after His own image, in true righteousness and holiness, that He might rightly know God His Creator, heartily love Him, and live with Him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise Him. Whence then proceeds this depravity of human nature from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Hence our nature has become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? Indeed, we are, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, at the occasion of baptism, we consider the appropriate truth of our misery as taught in the Heidelberg Catechism. Our misery that is our sin. At baptism, perhaps some might prefer that we hear something less humbling, something less unpleasant than the misery of sin which parents and our children, yea, also an infant child, does bear. Something, perhaps we say, more encouraging from a human perspective than our sin. And yet, the very sign of baptism points us there. One of the principal parts we read in the form of baptism is that we need to be washed because we are dirty. We're dirty. Why does a child need the washing of baptism? Why do parents need the washing of baptism? Because... We are spiritually unclean, depraved, guilty, holy, as the Catechism says, wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all evil. And unless a child like Grayson is redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, he is lost. And so is each one of us and our children. Believing parents say that about their children. They swore that even this morning, that they believe our children, this child too, is conceived and born in sin. And they will see that. They will see that depravity early on as they seek to raise this child 
They'll see that sinful nature come out. And when they do, parents will recognize that that sinful nature was passed down from father and mother to their son. We don't pass down a new man. We only pass down that old man. In Psalm 51, we find a father, David, confessing his own sin and implying a confession of the sins of his own children. Behold, he says in verse 5, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That, David said, is how I began. I don't just commit sin. I am a sinner. That's how I began. And that is how all of my children begin. In great need of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And today we see that Gospel. The comfort of the Gospel. Though first we must see the discomfort or the misery that we have by nature. The Heidelberg Catechism, remember, is leading us to experience and to know that comfort of the Gospel. But to enjoy that comfort, the Catechism has explained in the first question and answer that first of all, we must know our sins and miseries. And a couple of weeks ago, we considered Lord's Day 2, where the Catechism describes our sins and miseries as total depravity. We are dead in sins and miseries. We are prone to hate God and our neighbor. That is, we are lying down in the prone position, as it were, against God in worship of self and hatred of God. And we saw on Lord's Day too that the law of God The commandments of God and His Word have a purpose of exposing, of showing us that we have this depravity. It says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. This do and live, and we see, we hate instead. That's our nature. And we deserve, therefore, death. Now Lord's Day 3 moves us forward to explain where does this misery come from? What is the source of this depravity? Or another another way to put it, who's to blame? Whose fault is it that we have this depraved nature? And we answer this morning on the basis of God's Word. Not God. God is not to blame. He is not the source of this depravity. But man is. For the better answer, children, I am. Who is the worst sinner? I am. Consider with me the truth of Lord's Day 3 under the theme, the fault of man's depravity. First, not God's fault. Second, man's fault. 
mine, each one of us says. And third, Christ's saving work, where we find the Gospel. The Catechism on the basis of God's Word tells us in Lord's Day 2 what man's misery is, and then in Lord's Day 3 now tells us whose fault it is. And to sum it up, it's, it's man's fault and not God's. But when sinful man hears that judgment, when sinful man feels the finger of God, as it were, prick or poke in his conscience to say, as Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. You are that sinner. Then this is the depraved default response of each one of us here. To point the finger somewhere else, blaming others, and even blaming God. We've all experienced that defense lawyer, also known as the old man inside of us, rise up to justify ourselves. To justify ourselves. That is our default setting. And that compounds, it makes our sin worse. So that after we sin and we point to others, we make it worse. And the first example of this, and Scripture shows this to us as the first example of our default setting to blame others, is Adam and Eve. We come back to these first parents, as the Catechism says. We do that now, we come back to that again. But the Catechism points us to these first parents when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they died spiritually. These two Adam and Eve, these two totally depraved sinners, after they ate of that tree, their response when confronted with their sin was to blame. Remember, you remember the familiar story in Genesis 3. Adam pointed to his wife and said, The woman that thou gavest to be with me. And the woman pointed to the serpent. The serpent tempted me. And here's the point. Here's the point that we're trying to make with that pointed finger. That they did not merely blame others, but they blamed God. That is part of man's misery. That is your sinful heart by nature. To hate God so much as to say it's His fault when you sin. Now take a look at the Catechism question 6. A brief question, but one of great significance. Because here in this question, the Catechism writes from the human experience. An experiential perspective is what the Catechism has. And the question shows that depraved default setting of the human heart. When he is confronted with his sin in Lord's Day 2, you are totally depraved, prone to hate God and your neighbor. The human response is this, well, did God do this? Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? Where did that question come from? Right here. The same nature as Adam and Eve. Your sinful heart says 
Well, I can't help it. God, God, made, it. God made me that way, didn't He? And that's blasphemy. This happens far more than we realize, beloved. Really, whenever we deny sin that we have committed, and whenever we blame someone else or justify ourselves, we don't just point outward, but we point upward. Self-justification is always God-incrimination. When we lose our temper, for example, with the pressures of life, we get frustrated, we say, we lose it on someone else. And then we're questioned, well, are you angry? With that sinful anger? How often? How often? We say, yes, we're angry, but we're frustrated with our circumstances. That's really the same thing as being angry with God. He's at fault. Think about when real sin is pointed out in our lives, maybe by our wife or by our husband or someone, someone else. And we deflect the blame to someone else. We're saying that God placed that person in our lives. And that's why we sin. We're pointing upward at God. And then when you feel that prick of the conscience, God presses His finger upon your heart and says, you are the sinner. You defended some error. You committed adultery. You slandered. And you now won't repent. Just the denial of it, of real sin, is to say that God is lying. Another, another way of pointing the finger at God. 1 John 1.10 If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. That is the desperate wickedness of the totally depraved heart. If God does not turn the heart to repent, we just dig ourselves deeper in the hole. Dirtying ourselves with more sin, like digging a hole. And not only blaming others, but God Himself. Impenitence always blames God. We have the saying, we have the saying when you point the finger at someone else, three fingers are pointed back at us. And that's true. But it's worse than that. When we point the finger in impenitence, it's never only pointed outward. It's always pointed upward. The Catechism asks the question, which is true to our experience, that wants to blame God. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? And here is one way to answer it. It's not the Catechism's answer, but it's a biblical answer. Children, the answer to such a question that would blame God is, who do you think you are? That's Romans 9, verse 20. Romans 9, verse 20 shows Paul expositing on the doctrine of election and reprobation. 
And there he deals with the question of man, which would blame God as being not fair. How's that fair, man says, implying that God is not fair. And, and Paul responds, Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Meaning, who do you think you are to answer God back? Children, sometimes that happens. You, 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 might, you might retort to your parent or you might answer back, give them the lip. And they'll take you aside. They'll look at you and say, who do you think you are? To speak to your teacher, to your parent. Like that. Because they're confronting you in your pride. Well, that's from God's Word. Paul says to the man who would answer God back and say it's his fault in some way, who do you think you are? Just because you cannot understand fully how God is sovereign over sin and yet man is responsible, just because you cannot give a thorough logical explanation of the problem of evil as it's called, who do you think you are? To blame God. God doesn't go into the nitty gritty of explaining all the ins and outs for us. He doesn't have to. He says, you simply may not blame God. You compound your sin when you point upward for what you have done. The Catechism defends God's righteousness by explaining that God created man good. That's the second answer to that question. Did God create man wicked and perverse? Is He the source of depravity? Is He to blame? One answer is, who do you think you are to blame God? The second answer, and the Catechism's answer is, He created man good. By no means. God created man in His own image, after His likeness. And you know the three essential elements to God's image with which He created man originally. When He formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, and then Eve from His rib, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, He created man very good. He said, with true knowledge, and the Catechism refers to that true knowledge by saying, to rightly know His Creator. True knowledge refers to the thinking of a human. And God created man, He created man as a thinking being. Yes, with a brain to think, but especially with a mind of the soul of the, or the mind of the heart to, to think spiritual thoughts after God so that he could know God, even know Him personally. God created man with righteousness, and that refers to the willing obedience of man. He could choose in his heart what is right according to God's righteous law, and then he would be able to do exactly what God told him to do. He had righteousness. And third, holiness. Holiness refers to the heart's aim. He could aim at God's glory, hallowing His name, 
being wholly dedicated to God, separated from sin and separated unto His service for His glory. Catechism refers or explains that holiness further when it says, and live with Him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise Him. God created man good in His own image. That's why man may not blame God for his misery. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says it succinctly. Ecclesiastes 7.29 Lo, this only have I found, wise Solomon says, that God hath made man upright. But they have sought out many inventions. That is, man has sought out all kinds of different devious ways to sin. So today, this morning, in the first point, we, we do something called justify God. We justify God. Often, when we speak of that word justify or justification, we think of God justifying us. That's the heart of the Gospel. We'll get to that. But in this first point, we see that the truly repentant person for his own sin justifies God. That is, he declares God righteous. He takes back all the false accusations that he has made and pointing his finger up at God for his sin. He says, no, God is righteous and I am not. He is not to blame for my sin. And that's not just the catechism doing this. Justifying God. But notice that as David confesses his sin here in Psalm 51 verse 4, he justifies God. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And especially the second phrase is important. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David is recognizing there that when he continued in impenitence, he had not only refused to acknowledge his own sin, but that he, his heart, had been blaming God. And now he says, no, now I acknowledge my sin so that God is justified. God is righteous. He is clear when he says, I'm the sinner. He is not lying. It is not his fault. People of God, there are some of you continuing in impenitence. And each one of us must repent daily. Is there any more reason to repent than this? So long as you continue in impenitence, whether it be by excusing, playing the victim card, minimizing your sin, or the rest. So long as you do this, you only compound your sin by blaming God and justifying yourself. 
God is righteous. I am not. One truly sorry for his sin says. And it would be just for him to send me to hell and give me all the worst consequences on this earth that I am facing. And far worse. And God would still be righteous. If God created man good, then where did this depravity come from? And that's the second question and answer of Lord's Day 3. Whence, from where then proceeds this depravity? And the answer in short, the first man, Adam. Catechism refers to our first parents. It's primarily Adam. The first man fell and plunged the whole human race with him into this depravity. That's the doctrine of original sin, it's called. And to understand this, we must first understand something else about how God created Adam. We said earlier, God created Adam in His image, in true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. But God also created Adam with a position, as the position of a head. And that headship of Adam has two different characteristics, the first of which is that he is our federal head, or our representative head. So that, children, those big words should not scare you, that Adam was a representative head means that what Adam did was not just for Adam. What Adam did was for all human beings after him. He represented them. If Adam had obeyed, then he would have obeyed for us Everyone after him. What Adam had done would be counted as ours. And when he disobeyed, it was just as if the whole human race disobeyed. Romans 5 is a key chapter in the Bible on this. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. As a representative of all mankind, when Adam sinned, God's Word says, not only Adam became guilty, but the whole human race became guilty. God judged, yes, even the little child, as guilty in Adam. And again, the human heart says, but that, that, that's not fair. Is it? And remind you what it means to claim that such is not fair. Again, that would be pointing the finger up at God and saying that He did something wrong by creating Adam in that position as head over man. Who do you think you are? God says, Adam's fall means that his guilt becomes ours. 
But God placed Adam not only as head to represent us, but it's also called an organic head. That is, there is a living connection between Adam as the father and we as his children. He is the father of the human race. If he had not fallen, he would have passed on to us his great, 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 add a few more great, greats, great grandchildren. He would have passed on to us that sinless image of God, of righteousness, holiness, and knowledge. But Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, the judgment immediately came upon him as was promised in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And he died. He died spiritually. He lost the image of God, of true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, and instead took upon him the image of Satan. That's how bad he became. He forfeited these excellent gifts, the canon say, head 3 and 4, article 1. And on the contrary, entailed on himself blindness of mind, horrible darkness, vanity, and perverseness of judgment, became wicked, rebellious, and obdurate in heart and will, and impure in his affections. But it wasn't just Adam. And he... With that sinful, Satan-like nature, Adam and Eve passed on to their children, to their grandchildren. And parents today have passed on to their children and to their grandchildren this same depraved nature. There's a phrase in the canons that is memorable and that you should remember, children. A propagation of a vicious nature. The propagation of a vicious nature. That's Adam and parents today passing on to their children that total depravity. It's not something to joke about, really. It's not something to say, it's cute. It's not for us to point at and say, well, his, he's his mother's son. Or his father's son. The Catechism and the other confessions are very sober about it. Here's the Belgian Confession, Article 15, and hereditary disease, wherewith infants themselves are infected even in their mother's womb, and which produceth in man all sorts of sin, being in him as a root thereof, and therefore is so vile and abominable in the sight of God that it is sufficient to condemn all mankind. And when parents see that in their children, it's not the time to get angry and lose it with them. And parents, when we see that in our children, you take your child in your lap 
And yes, you have to give the necessary consequences. You cry out with that child. Be merciful, O God, unto us. As a father, as a mother who has passed this sinful nature on to this child, be merciful unto us, sinners. That's what David's doing in Psalm 51. I was shaping. I was shaping in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. And then you bring that child to the gospel. And we come to that gospel this morning. That God in His mercy has given us Jesus Christ to perform saving work for us and in us. For us and our children. For He is the second Adam. Though first in God's counsel. And as an Adam, Jesus Christ is also the head, both a representative head, like Adam, as well as an organic head with a living connection to us. And as a representative head, though he was like Adam, he was greater. This One man lived a life of perfect righteousness, obeying all of God's commandments with true knowledge, holiness, and righteousness. Because he did that as the representative of all of his people. That is counted as ours. Romans 5.19 For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, that's Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. That, That righteousness began already in the womb of the Virgin Mary. I want to read you something very important, very applicable to Baptism to our infant children. It's from Lord's Day 14 about Christ's conception. Lord's Day 14 connects Christ's conception to ours. And while we and our children are conceived and born in sin, as David confesses in Psalm 51, as we find here in Lord's Day 2, this is what we find about Jesus Christ, that what, is, what profit does thou receive by Christ's holy conception and nativity? Answer, that He is our mediator. And with His innocence and perfect holiness, covers in the sight of God my sins, wherein I was conceived and brought forth. How oh, beautiful. Christ came as a little child. In perfection. Even in the womb. <laughs> with the image of God, perfect knowledge, righteousness, and holiness in Him. 
That's counted as ours. That's reckoned as ours. Even when we were little children. Conceived and born in sin. That's how God looks upon us. His people. And the guilt that we have as children and adults, the guilt He placed on Jesus Christ. He counted as Christ's. The while we commit a blasphemy and we blame God for our sins. Christ Jesus willingly said, I will take the blame. And He became sin for us who knew no sin. And suffered all His life. And endured our help. So that at baptism we might see the Gospel. The water representing His blood cover all of our sins, we and our children. For Christ is not just the head who represents us, but He's an organic head as well, like Adam. So that there is a living connection between Christ and us, His people. While Adam, as the living head or organic head, passes on to us a sinful nature totally depraved, Christ comes and has risen from the dead and ascended on high in heaven. And He very really joins Himself to us by His Spirit and regenerates us. That's the catechism too. Yes, Yes, indeed, we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness. But we are regenerated. We're joined to Jesus Christ. We and our children, even when our children are yet in the womb, He causes there to flow from Himself to us, His Spirit, to create a new man in us after His image. David prays, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Verse 12, Uphold me by Thy free spirit. And Christ gives that spirit. So that the water of baptism not only pictures the blood of Christ and His perfect righteousness covering us and our children, but the water of baptism also pictures us, pictures for us the Spirit working in us and in our children. See, parents, To the utmost of your power means nothing 
if you don't have the Spirit empowering you to raise your children. You depend on Christ and His Spirit for that, not in yourself. And this is why parents not only can instruct their children, but they can confidently know that in their children the same Spirit works so that when they manifest their sin, they will repent. They can repent by that regenerating Spirit symbolized at baptism. On the occasion of baptism, we see our sin, our guilt, the power of sin from that first Adam. See how we compound our sin by justifying ourselves and incriminating God. But we see the gospel pictured at baptism and written in His Word that Christ is the second Adam, the head who by His blood and His Spirit washes us. Praise be to this Messiah, the Savior of us and our children. Amen. Let's pray. Father, our covenant God, having brought us to see again the depths of our misery and sin, now has comforted us by showing us Thy Word and the Gospel of Jesus Christ, Thy Son, our Savior. And so by the power of Thy Spirit, which Thou does work in us, we praise Thee, we worship Thee, we give Thee all honor, and we ask that one generation praise Thy works to another and declare Thy mighty acts. Help us to live as those who are Thy children, righteous in the covering of Jesus Christ's righteousness and holy with the work of Thy Spirit in us. These things we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.